of Christians together who have trusted Christ. We're all righteous. We have Christ's righteousness. We all have the gift of eternal life. But you bring us all together in a room and we have to live together with one another in life and we deal with these gray areas. Sometimes we can become very dogmatic and judgmental over gray areas. So my purpose in doing this message is what Paul's purpose was, to teach us how to live with each other when we don't agree over areas that are neither right nor wrong. Okay? Now I'm going to, I could, I could be a sissy this morning and just talk about eating meat or holy days. That's what, that was the hot topic in Paul's day. But I'm not. I'm going to turn over about 13 stones. They didn't come from Joshua. And I'm not going to deal with all 13. I'm going to tell you they are gray areas. Scripture doesn't say yes and it doesn't say no. But people have freedom to choose within that and we have responsibility on how we act. Okay? So I'll lay those out. You have to promise not to get mad at me because let me tell you something. I have had Christians get furious at me over issues dealing with these gray areas. And this is what I say to them. And I, I, I tell you this in all honesty. You may disagree with me on that, and that's fine. I, you have that perfect liberty, and I will grant you that grace. But it's not about me. It's about God. And it's about you. And it's about another believer. And I always end on this, you know. If what you do causes another believer to stumble, you're probably wrong. Okay, so I just want you to hear that out front and get that out of the way. Now everybody smile because it does get a little serious here. But this section addresses the issue of how we are to behave in areas of Christian liberty where it does not affirm or condemn. Okay, how do we live with others who do not see issues the way we do? And we're talking about believers here this morning. One person defined gray areas this way, and I liked it. Gray areas are not subjects where God has simply forgotten to give us insight and direction. They are subjective areas where God leaves room for difference of opinion and conscience amongst believers and invites us into personal conversation with Him to determine how to best follow Him in those areas of our life. Gray areas. Okay, are y'all ready? All right. Now, in order to do this section justice, what you have to do is see where Paul starts and where he stops. And obviously, it's 30-some verses, and I'm not going to do that to you this morning. I'm only going to do 12, but I'm going to read the whole section to you. But notice how Paul starts this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not don't welcome him to quarrel over opinions. Come on in, brother. We accept you now. You know what? You are dead wrong when it comes to this. Okay, now look at where this ends. That's chapter 14, verse 1. In chapter 15, verse 7, Paul ends the section as he says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So he's talking about strong and weak Christians here. And you're going to be surprised which one is the weak and which one is the strong. Now, 
In order to read this section to you quickly, it only takes just a couple of minutes, I chose the New Living Translation because I think it gives a better sense of what Paul's trying to say. So no interpretation. I'm just reading this whole section, and then I'll make some comments on the first 12 verses. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord both of the living and the dead. So... Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance, praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it's wrong, then for that person it's wrong. If another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Let me add, in front of them. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church, and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. Mm. 
for you are not following your convictions. For if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As scripture says, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Whew! Yeah, that's his word. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we'll hop into it, okay? Father, thank you for your word this morning. And even though we don't know every detail about everything, you give us the major premise on how we're to live with each other and ultimately to honor you. So help that to be our heart attitude this morning as we live amongst, within communities and people and other believers. Uh, give us a sense of humility. Give us a sense of love and patience with people. And I pray that above all, there would be unity and it would be honored by you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kent Hughes in his commentary writes this, Normally, diversity does not make for unity. Because of our human tendency to judge those who do not conform to our customs or standards, the unity of Christ's church is often imperiled by diversity, as church history repeatedly records. In other words, believers get in a room, they have different opinions, and what ends up happening the split occurs. Y'all heard about the, the Baptist was found on an island. Y'all ever heard that? There was a man found on an island and they went and rescued him and they looked and they were looking around, saw three huts there and they said, my gracious, where did this guy come from? Are there other people here? And the guy said, no, I'm the only survivor. They said, well, we noticed three huts here. What is this? He said, well, this first house is what I live in. He said, the second house is where I go to church. He said, in the third house is where I used to go to church. Uh, so sometimes people can't even get along with themselves. And this is sometimes happens in Christian circles. So here is the major point this morning. And I want you to hear me carefully if you don't hear anything else. Hear me carefully. It is unwise to judge another believer in gray areas. Now, I want you to hear me carefully, and I say this because I'm going to give you an example. There are some people who think that it is sinful to use any translation other than one Bible version. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I know people who have run people off, run them down, beat them over the head. Can I say something to you? For a person who wrote their doctoral dissertation on a Ph.D. level on the judgment seat of Christ... I quake for people who have judged over gray areas and made it a moral Ten Commandment. 
Because if you think that's going to go well with Jesus, I'm, I'm just laying it out there, I think you're going to be startled. It is unwise to judge believers over gray areas. Music styles. Matter of fact, let me go down the list. Should a Christian play video games? Can certain Christians drink alcohol? Or can Christians, not certain. Can a Christian drink alcohol? Certain uh, conception, birth control within marriage, is that right or is it wrong? I'm not talking about some kinds. I'm not talking about the morning after pill. I'm talking about the pill or without getting too graphic, other forms. Is that, is that right or wrong? Should Christians go to movies, theaters? Should there be integrated worship? What does that mean or not? Integrated means there's no children's ministries. God made public worship to be for mother, father, and all the siblings and nothing else for the children. Uh, is that a, that's a gray area, by the way. Let me just throw it out there. But some people think this is a right or a wrong. Dating or not dating. Is that biblical to date or is it non-biblical to date? Okay, listen. It's a gray area. Scripture doesn't necessarily say it. It gives prescriptions of how things were done back in the ancient East when we would arrange marriages. I kind of like that. you know. But, but let me tell you something. It's, it's not my life. And my kids' life, when they get to that age, they're their own, and I can't arrange their marriage. But once again, I think it could be a good idea. Anyway, working on Sunday, is that, is that right or wrong? Tobacco, is that right or wrong? I heard someone gasp. I hope you didn't just... <clears throat> I hope they didn't swallow their chew. Okay. Do you realize that two of the most famous Christians in the Victorian era were Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. Both were mighty preachers of the gospel and many hundreds and hundreds of people came to Christ through both. Early in their ministries, they fellowshiped and even exchanged pulpits with one another. Then they had a disagreement and the reports got into the newspapers. Spurgeon publicly accused Parker of being unspiritual because he attended the theater. He went to the movies. Interestingly enough, Spurgeon smoked cigars, a practice many believers would condemn. In fact, on one occasion, someone asked Spurgeon about his cigar smoking, and he said he did not smoke to an excess. When asked what he meant by excess, he waggishly answered, I don't smoke more than two at a time. <laughs> so who was right? Perhaps neither. Perhaps both. But better yet would be to realize that the two could disagree and both still be in God's will. However, once again, we've got to have it our way. And somebody's got to see it our way. Dancing. You know, some people think it's sinful for someone to dance. Even with your wife. Uh, when I go to a wedding, I hope I don't offend you, but if they have a song, I, I dance with my wife. But I wouldn't do it if I thought that it would cause you to stumble. I just say that. But I, I personally don't think that it's wrong to dance with my wife. Now, you may think it is. I just say that out. I should keep myself out of this. All right. <laughs> Bible translations I've already mentioned. 
music? Is it okay for you as a Christian to listen to secular music? There are some believers who think that you should not listen to any music except Christian music. In other words, if you turn your radio on country, or you turn it on 98.1, or whatever else these stations are, that you are sinning. Some take it to another degree and say, if you sing anything outside of hymns, then you are sinning. By the way, do you know the song, Almighty Fortress is our God? Martin Luther wrote that. Do you know he was condemned when he wrote that song and introduced it into the Christian world because it was contemporary? And then when musical instruments came along, they thought that was worldly and there should be no musical instruments. And there are still churches, the Church of Christ, one branch of them will not allow a musical instrument in their building because it's worldly. Now, when you begin thinking about issues like this, uh, beat or no beat in music, some people think that a beat in music is a moral issue. It's a right or a wrong when you boom, boom, boom. As, as a young pastor, there was a godly man and woman that came to our church Godly, loved them both to death. One of our people invited someone in to come and sing, and they had a guitar and some drums. And I had no clue about this lady. She was so gravely offended that someone had brought in an instrument that had a, had a beat to it. And she came up to me afterward, and she was a very nice lady, but she dressed me up one side and down another and told me what she thought about me and told me they were leaving the church because I had no more discernment than to allow something like that to come in. Now, I want to say something to you. That was painful because I loved, loved this person, but I had no clue their convictions were that strong over music, which is a gray issue, a gray matter. Wearing jewelry, card playing, schooling, homeschool, private school, public school. Some people think these are issues to separate over if you don't see things the way they do. Material wealth. Some Christians think that you should only have a certain amount of material wealth and if you hoard up any more, you're greedy and you're worldly. And they'll tell you what the, what the dollar amount is too, by the way. So these are issues that there is problematic uh, and perhaps controversial things that would cause us to divide over each other. So how do you handle this? All right. Well, I'm going to give you five principles, okay, here. Five reasons that we, it's unwise to judge someone over a gray area. Five. Here we go, quickly. First of all, because God has accepted both the weak and the strong believer. Now, I'm going to read from the ESV here, verses 1 through 3. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. In other words, if your conscience allows you to do something, God has welcomed you. 
If your conscience does not allow you to do something, God has welcomed you too. God has welcomed both the weak and the strong. Now as we think about this, what does this idea of weak in faith mean? Read carefully now. The weakness in faith to which this chapter refers is not weakness in basic Christian faith, but weakness in assurance that one's faith permits one to do certain things. Are y'all with me? This is not whether you believe Jesus is Lord, whether you believe that He gives you the gift of eternal life, whether you believe He has removed your sin. This deals with whether you can do something that is questionable in the mind of someone else, right or wrong. Okay, card play. Let me just use that one. You may feel like that you can play cards, and even though it's associated with gambling, you don't do it for that reason. You can play that. It doesn't bother you. Another believer may say that cards are associated with gambling, and they want nothing to do with it. It's sin for them and you. Paul is saying here, stop it. Stop it. Don't be judging each other, because God has accepted the one who can play cards and the one who doesn't. He's, he's welcomed both. So it's unwise... If God has welcomed them, it's unwise for us to judge them. Okay? Number two, it's unwise to judge others in gray areas because you are not the master of another believer. God is. Now let that one settle really, really close. Let it sink. I'm going to read verse 4, Romans 14, verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Recently, I was at a person's shop. I say recently. It's been some months ago. And a man had an employee inside, and the employee was doing something, and this particular man walked over and said, you let your employee do that? I wouldn't let him do that. I'll tell you right now, I, I would, I, and the guy had heard about enough of it, and he looked over and said, are you paying him? And he went, well, uh, well no. He said, then I'll take care of it. I was like, ooh. Now, in that regard, this is what God says, who are you to judge another master's servant? And the answer is, we are nobody. We're nobody to do that. So what are we to do? We're not to judge them. We're to understand that this is God's business. Number three, because God will ultimately cause him or her to stand. The second part of verse four, very important, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Wow. Whether the weak that can't do something or the strong who can, God will make them stand. He's able. Even though I disagree with them. Even though I may think it's wrong, God is able to make them stand. So if he's able to make them stand over issues such as this, then who am I to condemn 
And who am I to ultimately cause them consternation because I am judging them, telling them they're wrong? All right, I'm hurrying, I know. I can tell by your faces, it's like... And we'd all like to put our boxing gloves on right now and just go at it with each other. But now remember, Paul was in a context where he had Jewish believers who had come out of Old Testament law that couldn't eat certain things. They couldn't go certain places. They couldn't do certain... And then a bunch of Gentiles got saved and they could do all this. And it was no problem to them. And now you take these two people and you put them together and you try to cause them to get along, there was holy war. And so Paul is writing this to teach these believers how to get along in these areas. But the fourth reason that we, it's unwise to judge is because ultimately a believer lives and dies belonging to the Lord. Catch this now. Not to me and not to you. Now notice Paul's argument here in chapter 14. I'm going to go down into verse 7. For none of us himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Now what is his point there? The last part is his point. While you're living in this life, guess what? You are living for the Lord, serving Him. Not for me, uh, not for your mother or your father or your neighbor. You are living to serve the Lord. And guess what? When you die, your spirit will take on bodily form in a temporary dwelling and you will be transported into the presence of God waiting for the bodily resurrection. Yes, you'll have a face. Yes, you'll have arms. Yes, you'll have legs. Yes, you'll look like what you're going to look like, but you're still waiting on your resurrection body. And while you're in God's presence, you will be serving Him, even in the absence of your physical body. Whether you live, you live to the Lord. Whether you die, guess what? You're still serving the Lord. And then one day, when Jesus returns... He will raise your, your mortal body, will be joined to your spirit in a resurrection body, and you will live like that through eternity. And the majority of how what your resurrection body will look like will depend upon the next verses. What happens to you at the judgment seat of Christ as a believer? Because unbelievers will not be at the judgment seat. Only believers. And that will determine your reward or your loss of reward for all of eternity. Okay? So let me say this. Don't judge now because it could cost you rewards in the future. Now, let me say this. Don't judge unnecessarily. Now let me tell you something. If you catch another believer living in adultery, you catch another believer telling lies, cheating, doing things that God clearly says are wrong, you have an obligation to confront them. And to not do that is, is going to have to stand before the Lord one day and say, well, Lord, I was more afraid of them than I were you. That is an issue of right and wrong. And we are to confront that. But matters of gray area, we, it's unwise to judge. Because if we cause a believer to stumble in this, we could lose reward over that. 
Are y'all looking at me like you don't believe me, but I'm telling you, we could lose it. Now, think about this. Number five, because one day we will give an account of ourselves before the Lord, not others. Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? How many times has he said this? I mean, there was a problem here, not in Trinity, but in Rome. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of, y'all read it with me, himself to God. When I stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, I will primarily, number one, give an account for myself. I'll do it as personal, as an individual. I'll give an account as a father. I'll give an account as a husband. And I'll give an account as a pastor. But whether I have been true to share with you God's word and in shepherding your life when you come to me with issues and problems, and Brian's the same, and we will give an account for your soul on whether we told you the truth and whether we were faithful to you. doesn't mean people like it. Uh, that doesn't matter. The issue is, are we faithful to do that? You will give an account for your life. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, I have enough problems of my own uh, to worry about than to have to worry about whether or not you can wear a red and a blue sock. Because I'm going to give an account for myself. Now, 2 Corinthians, which is two books over, chapter 5, verse 10, and I'll go over this next week because that's what I'm going to do. Because whether you know it or not, you are living for the day of the judgment seat of Christ. Everything in your Christian life is building up for that day. And Paul says, 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 5, he says here that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ uh, to receive for what is done in our body, whether good or evil. What will we do? Some, some of us will do right. Some of us will do wrong. We will give answers for both. What are we going to do with that? We're going to live to honor Jesus. Now, I'll bet you, if I open the floor right now for questions, we could have a good time. However, we would also have chaos. So if you want to talk about this tonight, you can come back during the Bible study and we'll talk about it. But my point is this, and don't miss what I said. Whatever you do in matters of gray area, don't stick your neck completely out on a chop block and judge, 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 because one day you too will be judged based upon how and what you judge others for. Now, next week's message is going to deal with the strong, okay? The believers who have the faith to do this and this and this. How are they to act? Even though it's not sinful for them to do this, what is best? What is wise? This week, it's unwise to judge. Next week, for the, for the strong, it is wise to do this. Not exert your liberty to cause another to stumble. 
So until next week, four principles, quickly. I'm going to go over these again next week to help you with gray areas. Because if you walked out of here now, that would, you'd be going, oh, I don't like him. I'll tell you what right now. I just, hold on. You've got to let me finish this. I've got to get through the whole chapter. The four principles for dealing with gray areas. Number one, you follow the convictions that God has given you personally. Okay, if, if God has convicted you over a certain matter in a certain way, that is the way He is dealing with you. You follow that. You, you follow that. And you stick with it because that is your conviction. Number two, even though you believe that, you should respect the convictions of others in gray areas, even if they're different than yours. Okay, so maybe for the first time today you go, oh, that was a gray area? <laughs> well, I always thought I had a verse in Proverbs that showed that was wrong. And, you know, and by the way, if you ever hear somebody say this, give me a chapter and verse, they're not a theologian. Because theologians don't need chapters and verses. Because every verse has a context. And, you know, as Paul says, I can do all things through a text taken out of context. <laughs> now, he didn't say that I made that up. But every passage in Scripture is given in a context, and it in, it's intended to say, are you ready for this? One thing. Not twenty. One. I may say it means this, he may say it means that, and we might both be wrong. But I'll guarantee you one thing, we're not both right. Because God intended it to say one thing. So, if someone else has a different opinion, respect that, even if they're different. Third, honor the conscience of others when you're with them. If you know doing something is going to cause someone to stumble, you are better off not doing it. Even though it's right for you, you know, and I, I've heard Christians say this sometimes, I don't care if they don't like it or not, I'm just going to die. And you know, inside that other person, they're going, oh my goodness, this is so wrong. I don't even like being here because if somebody saw me, this would be terrible. I remember Jerry Falwell telling a story one time while I was at Liberty. He said he went out on a vacation. There's three or four pastors there. He said they came over to his table and they all had a mug of beer. And they set the mug of beer down and Falwell said, I got up and pushed the table away and said, get away from me. And they said, what's the matter with you? Don't you know that we're free to do this? He said, you might be free to do it, but I ain't getting a picture taken with a bunch of news cameras and getting it put on TV. You, can you imagine what? I mean, so this was, think about that. Think what that would have looked like. Jerry Falwell, moral majority, having a cold one. I mean, the unbelievers of the world would have taken him under the rug. And he knew that. And so he didn't want anything to do with that. Honor the conscience of others when you're with them. Those guys shouldn't have done that to him. They may have had the freedom to do that. I'm not going to get into whether they did or they didn't. But they shouldn't have put him in that situation. And as a believer, let me encourage you, don't do that especially to a weaker, weaker person or a person that... You know, people may have different issues. And this is a whole sermon on alcohol. You know, there are some people who are recovering alcoholics. And if they just got one good whiff of liquor, they would be addicted again. And some people don't understand the power of addiction. 
And you might take your liberty and go out and stick that in somebody's take, and they say, well, you know what? It's not right or wrong. And the next thing you know, one glass turns into a bottle, and a bottle turns into three, and one time a week turns into six days a week. And the next thing you know, there they go down that road. Or other areas. I could go on. Be cautious. Honor the conscience of others when you're with them. And then finally, I say this humbly, and by the way, these points came from someone else who I'll give credit to. I've refined just a little bit. Leave room for changing your boundaries on gray matters in your life. Okay? Leave room for changing your boundaries on gray matters in your life. I have discovered as a believer the more knowledge I gained of God's Word and the more practice and the more age that I had in life and the wisdom I had, some of the things that I thought were absolutely wrong early on are now gray issues. Because the chapter and verse somebody put on them didn't say that at all. But there are other things that I thought was okay to do early in my life that now looking back on, I see you're wrong for me. So, Never act like you know it all. Because we all learn every day of our life. And the day that you quit learning is the day that you start dying. Never change fundamental truths, but always be open to listen and learn on what God says and what God doesn't say and be gracious, okay? Because it is unwise to judge another believer over a gray area. Leave that to the Lord. So as your pastor, I have tried to be faithful in delivering that to you to help you because next week when we talk about the judgment seat of Jesus that we will all stand for and we will read through the rest of this passage and talk about causing one to stumble and not, you're going to discover that one day you'll be thankful that you heeded Paul's advice which he writes, listen what he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. In other words, in these gray matters, at the end of the day, may we all be able to live with each other and love each other and submit to one another and do what's best for the growth of another instead of ourselves. Paul goes on to say that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what is it as believers that we do that brings glory and honor to God? Are you ready for this? We get along with each other. We love each other. We don't stand and judge each other and point down our fingers. Doesn't mean that we have to agree, but it does mean we have to love and accept and welcome one another, even when we have differences of opinion. May we be able to do that to glorify God. Father, thank you this morning for your word. <clears throat> Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's challenging, but we know ultimately it's yours. And so I pray as we take these truths and we apply them to our life that you'll teach us who you are, who we are,
what you say you will do and what our responsibility is to do. And I pray, Father, that we here at Trinity would honor you and your word, that we would be gracious to each other even when we disagree over matters, gray matters. I pray that you give us wisdom on how we should live in front of others, especially unbelievers, uh, what we should do that may or may not cause them to stumble, but especially among each other. Help us to be sensitive to those who have weak consciences and those who are strong, and may we ultimately rely on you to guide us and to lead us in what we should do to have unity and harmony in your, in your body. And we pray that that would bring glory to your name because we know that that's what you deserve. So help us to do our part. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior, that you sent on our behalf to empower us to live like this. May we submit our lives to him, we do pray in Jesus' name.